0: You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd, an Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes.
1: Today's film is Guy Ritchie's latest. It's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, starring Charlie Hunnam. And uh, Astrid Berger's Frisbee. Frisbee? Frisbee. And Jude (laughs) Law, of course, who's in the film as well. We've seen it, so uh, it's available for digital download, DVD, Blu-ray. You can check it out. $3.99 on Amazon, IMDb is telling me. So please check it out before listening to this podcast, because spoilers... We'll be discussing it and the ending. Uh, first of all, Lloyd, 7.0 out of ten. Ninety-six thousand people. They
0: they Think must have is... they must have paid a lot of those people.
1: <laughs> because to be honest with you, I got to the climax of this film and I was like, "Jeepers!" This two hours has been incredibly slow. I'm yawning. And I had to keep stopping this film and just, like, rubbing my eyes and being like, (laughs) oh, what am I doing here? What are we doing this for, (laughs) Lloyd?
0: Yeah, three sittings. Uh, Guy Ritchie has spent over three years making this movie, King Arthur, and he and the studio have in mind to make six movies in a cinematic universal (laughs) style um, universe-style series. I guess it's they bombed miserably like the mummy. <laughs> I have to admit, I was really hooked for the first hour of this movie. I haven't seen a Guy Ritchie film since Snatch, and I loved Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, and I love Snatch. Snatch is actually... One of the best movie experiences I've ever had at the cinemas. I took a group of friends. I suggested, um, oh, let's go watch this movie. So there was like six or seven of us. And you know how the start is really slow? They're in that elevator. Yep. And then they're like, oh, gosh, it's one of Lloyd's films. This is going to be so boring. (laughs) And then the moment the guns come out, it was rock and roll from start to finish. We were clapping at the end, laughing. We were quoting that movie for like a year. It was so awesome. Them. And I don't know why I fell out of watching Guy Ritchie movies. Like, I didn't hear good things about the movie he did with Madonna. Like, he, he didn't make him film after Snatch for a long time from memory. And I never watched Layer Cake or Rock and Roller, whichever one of those he directed. And rock and Roller. Rock and Roller, okay. And I wanted to see the Sherlock um, movies and The Man from UNCLE prior to doing this podcast, but I, I just didn't have the time. So, for the opening of this movie, it was really cool seeing this mythological retelling of the Arthurian legend with Guy Ritchie's style of storytelling. It just goes at lightning speed. And I love that sequence where King Arthur grows up in the street, saving his money and fighting and training. The high point. Of this movie for me is when King Arthur and his men start harassing the king's supplies, and it's almost like a, a, a Ocean's Eleven and maybe a little bit of the Dirty Dozen. And this is where Guy Ritchie's fast, rapid style um, and his handling of the street tough guys come into play really well. I, I just kind of wish um, he would direct uh, like a version of Robin Hood, I think that would be more fitting. For Guy Ritchie, but about the point where there there is this assassination attempt on Vordigan, if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, and Arthur and his men are running from the king, King's men, it's just where it completely falls apart for me. There was like this fantastic last moment where King Arthur's men make a last stand against all the kings, uh, all the king's men, and they they're being completely overrun, and Arthur activates Excalibur. And destroys everyone. Like, it just completely took away the effectiveness of the villain. Like, why are they retreating again? Like, you've, you've got the sword. Just, just attack them. And then yeah. after that, he gets captured or something. And then there's a big snake that kills the man and rescues him. Like, why didn't you just use that snake at the beginning of the movie? This doesn't make any sense at all. Like, why? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, Let's break down exactly what happens after that scene where um he kills all those men in that courtyard with all all the where he goes back to George was it his old trainer? They're on the run. George, (laughs) George, right? (laughs) One of Arthur's men is wounded, and he's slowly making his way to what I guess is like a halfway house, and they're trying to get on the boat. And the kid, that man who's wounded, has a kid and he goes I'll oh, just go on I just need a breather but it's just too interrupting.
1: late interrupting the kid's name is blue. blue His boy is blue like oh. old school like you're my boy Blue you're my Carry boy on.
0: Blue <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> just just as about, they're about to get in the boat Vordigan's men have arrived it's too late and the kid tries to lie no that's not my father and then there is a standoff between Arthur a king's man the kid and his friend and the king Vortigern uh, just slices um, the kid's father's throat, and then he yep. King Ar- um, Arthur grabs the kid, and then he runs to the boat. Okay, the king's men are right there. the The king is right there, right? Why aren't they chasing after after Arthur? He's just getting on a boat. Surely they've won at that. They've overrun them at that point. Like how did they also
1: they were so they were so difficult to find and now you've seen him, you're not gonna let him out of your sight. Exactly.
0: Like why how did they escape at that point? Why isn't he Vortigan chasing them down? Like surely it wouldn't be too hard to fire arrows at them or something.
1: I mean, I guess you should ask the female octopus women.
0: (laughs) 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 So so stupid. You know the price, David, for asking them. I'm not. I'm not going to go anywhere near them. <laughs> who, who set the price? Who decided? I don't know. And the the his... laws were set in stone or something. <laughs> so stupid.
1: <laughs> oh. And you know what else? You know he he kills his wife at the beginning of the film, rings the bell, and gets to turn into that big demon thing. You know, very temporarily as well. But then he kills his daughter. But had we had a few more moments where he. Loved and doted on his daughter.
0: That might have meant something. It would have been much more effective, hundred percent. Like Jude Law is such a good actor. He can only do so much with what he's with what's on screen. But if the audience isn't given those little brief moments where you can build character and stuff, it would have been so much more effective. But credit to Jude Law. He he actually really sold me on that. I was just like oh man, that's awful. He's killing his daughter just to maintain power. That's terrible.
1: Yeah. So is Arthur a smartass in this or not? Because there are times I feel like he should be clever, but he isn't, and he just says nothing. And then he's, like, face-to-face with Jude Law. He's really quiet the first time around. I know he's going to be, you know, on his way to be being beheaded. But I felt like, you know, maybe Arthur should have been a bit more of a rapscallion, like, from the streets. Because, you know, when he's on the horse, he turns around, he's flirting with the mage, he's trying to be a bit of a ladies' man and a fighter, and, like, you know, a bit like Brad Pitt's character in Snatch. Yeah. He's a bit of, like, a... You know, a bit of a fool, but also he can fight and he's tough. So, there were times where I was like, okay, he's being a smartass. This is kind of something. But then it wasn't consistent at all. I felt like he was quiet and he was reserved and there were so many dramatic moments. The tone of this movie, it was pitched as Snatch meets Lord of the Rings, right? So, I felt like they didn't lean into the Snatch part enough.
0: No, yeah. And they...
1: They really should have embraced that kind of fast cutting action like editing style. 100%. Throughout the film.
0: What slows this film down are those awful vision sequences where he's constantly, oh, oh my God, I'm like, please <laughs> not another vision sequence. Oh! You know, and he's reminded of his father. By the way, that was, I love Eric Banner. I think I really wish he'd do more movies, but that was such a dumb moment where he throws the sword up which stabs into his back and then he turns Mm -hmm. into stone. I thought that was one of the dumbest look, it just the, the, some of the, choices of taste here was just so awful just such a dumb design i loved it in the original excalibur by excalibur by john boorman i think where the guy just simply stabs the stone in his last on his last dying breath into um yeah, stabs the sword into a stone with his last dying breath that was so much more effective than this weird thing where he throws the sword up and it stabs into him and he become he turns into rock yeah into a rock oh. Gosh, that 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 was terrible! And just how King Arthur is dressed as well, especially in the he's clim- got red pants. No, he's got he's just. I understand he's a man of the people, but just get a better design with the costume. It Just looks so silly. This guy who's like dressed like he's you know for a high school stage play against this awesome looking demon. You know, just really bad design choices. Oh, by the way, did you notice David um David Beckham? in this movie oh it was hard to miss him governor (laughs) (laughs) he he didn't a lot of people criticised him I didn't think it was that bad (laughs) his voice is
1: all high pitched he's not an actor Um, you could have had him in the role silently looking menacing like that would have been fine but the moment he opens his mouth it takes you out of the film you talk about those visions I'll read you my notes here he throws the sword in the lake. The lady of the lake saves it. Shows him a vision. Yes, another vision. <laughs> they rescue the mage. Gives up the sword. And he's bitten by a snake so he can have another vision. <laughs> I found myself continuously being like, oh, another flashback, another vision. What are we doing
0: here? Well, there was, Wasn't there two flashbacks in the climax? So when he fights the demon, it flashes back to his father. And I think yep. before that, before he activates Excalibur and ki- destroys all those soldiers, I think there's another fla- flashback there. And I was like, oh, God.
1: Maybe too many flashbacks, Skyrim Ritchie. No, what,
0: what you said was 100%. If this movie had been 90%... That guy Ritchie man on a mission type story, it would have been fantastic. It would have been rock and roll. Oh, this is awesome. You know. Comedic. Yeah, it would have been comedic. We would have had lots of fun. And then of uh, the ten percent, oh yeah, you know, where he has to respect the the where his father came from and who he has to be. Um, In the end of the film, he has to be a king. You know, that would have been really cool, but uh, just so, such a huge miss, this movie. Huge miss.
1: Well, let's talk about how big a miss this is. At the box office, it was a $175 million budget, and it made about $40 million. Oh,
0: that's huge. That's huge, man. That's terrible. Huge bomb. <laughs> you know, this This movie was released, uh, was de- had a very delayed release of 10 months. So it was pocketed for 10 months before they released, and that's just because huge movies were coming out and when it finally did come out it's going up against Guardians of the Galaxy 2 like man you're not going to have yeah. much of a chance like wouldn't it have been best to wait even longer and release it during the Atomic Blonde period uh, you know like uh, maybe it did come out the Atomic Blonde period I'm just getting a bit the date's a bit confused but that is such a bad thing when you have to wait almost a year before your movie comes out That it just gets more dated
1: and I mean the last King Arthur I saw was clive owen keira knightley that um that film and i feel like it's too soon like we're getting more than a spider-man kind of
0: this is the game of thrones era Um, i wouldn't be surprised if they're going to try another attempt at it again um just to capitalize on how enormously popular game of thrones is it's like the most downloaded the most watched show ever Um, So it it wouldn't surprise me if they had another crack at it. If they have
1: another crack at it, they need to tone down the magic because incorporating a mage as basically the villain, I was watching and going, okay, so like Jude Law's character has magical powers, you know, to get that from the trailer sort of thing. The problem with magic is that, like, everything can be solved by magic. Oh, he's dead. Oh, no, wait, magic potion, he's alive. Yeah, yeah. You know, the sword can transform into whatever. The bird can fly in, like, drop in a snake. You know, that little snake, you killed it. Never mind, there's a bigger snake. Magic. (laughs) Like, everything is nothing, and it's all meaningless with the magic. So
0: Yeah, well, it was just badly staged here as well. Like, I I never felt Jude Law had a chance at all. Um, The moment Excalibur was activated, I just didn't understand why the movie wasn't over at that point. Like, he took out all those soldiers. Why aren't they on the offensive now? Just like, holy crap, you killed all those men. Let's just go straight for Jude Law right now. I I don't get it. Yeah. Like, there's no explanation for that. And, okay, let's say the Excalibur sword didn't do as much damage as that. It's more of a symbol that raises morale. Oh, my gosh, he's got the sword. We have to follow him. He's from the lineage of the kings or whatever. Uh, it's not Merlin. It's the girl mage. Whatever her name was. She's the mage. The she's mage. just referred
1: to as the mage. Yeah. Uh, she's
0: so powerful. She she can summon all these massive beasts. Why not just get her to take out more Vortigan? Do, do you know what I mean? Like they The, the hmm. powers that they introduce are just too powerful. It took away all the effectiveness of the drama. There was no drama because there was no tension. The bad guy didn't stand a chance at all. It, it's so ridiculous, this film. It introduced too many things and... And uh, I was so disconnected uh, at the end of this movie.
1: Speaking of too many things, they shoved Vikings into this movie for no reason. I would have dropped all of the Vikings stuff.
0: Yeah, they, they controlled the trade route out of England or London or, or out of Britain, rather. But you never saw that. So what's the point of introducing it? You never understood what how the trade routes were effective other than them um, harassing the supply tr- the supply train to King Vortigern. Yeah. That's the only understanding of the um, maritime a- maritime aspect of this story. But yeah, you're right. They should have cut that out.
1: Oh, speaking of things that they referenced and never showed. Hey, let's talk about Merlin. Yeah, this mage was sent by Merlin. Merlin forged the sword. Shall we see Merlin? No, nah. we haven't cast Merlin. You, you guys know Merlin.
0: <laughs> you guys know Merlin. It- we don't need to show him. You, you guys get the idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, you guys get the gist. And also, you guys have seen the li- you guys have seen the Lion King, right? Because like Eric Banner is like Mufasa, and Jude Law is like Scar, right? Cool. We'll just establish that at the beginning.
0: Hundred <laughs> percent. This is just a remake of the Lion King. You're absolutely right. Guy, Guy Ritchie has actually been um, marked a- as the next director for Aladdin, and I can yeah. see that working. Uh, he'll be restricted heavily because he can't utilize swearing or really offensive jokes, which Guy Ritchie likes to rely on. But I I was really impressed with King Arthur didn't really go to that level of obscene jokes or anything. I thought he handled that okay. It still got to that street level like dialogue without being too um, crude with um, the jokes or too heavy hitting to younger audiences. So I think he can handle Aladdin as a lower class person really well, and then becoming, uh, you know, a well a wealthy prince by the end of the movie. I think that'll be very interesting, and I'd love to see his interpretation of the genie and how all the comedic jokes. Like, obviously, unfortunately, we've lost the great Robin Williams, and his role will never be overshadowed. I don't think. I don't think so. But uh, it'll just be interesting to see how Guy Ritchie handles um, all that.
1: Have you had a look? Who's playing the genie? No. Will Smith.
0: Oh, really? Okay, that's a good choice. I like it.
1: <laughs> You've got to go in a different direction. Yes, you can't try and... 100%. I felt like this film reminded me of Warcraft a lot, which we've covered on the podcast. I
0: actually liked and that and You hated it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it. Felt This fell in the same boat for me, but I could see all the Lord of the Rings references too, like the Eye of Mordor felt like the, the tower. tower where yeah. the evil magic is happening.
0: Yeah, good point.
1: But you're you're right, this is literally a gritty reboot in the sense that you get down to street level and you feel like you're watching this, you know. Well, it's got Star Wars elements too. He's really reluctant to be the hero. Don't pass me that lightsaber, I mean Excalibur, that all powerful sword. You killed my father. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this has got tropes from lots and lots of different things, but it's all over the place and it is two hours too long. <laughs> I, I did write down was this greenlit because of Game of Thrones, and I feel like there's, that's got a lot to do with it.
0: I, I like the idea where he's got he's gone all out with the mythological aspect of retelling this Arthurian, uh, Arthurian legend, where we immediately have those gigantic elephants and this impossible architecture of the castle and things like that. So right from the get-go, right from the opening of the film, he's letting you know what direction he's going to take this interpretation of, of the story of Arthur. And I like the gutsiness of that. Immediately, that lightning-paced story of him growing up in the streets with the prostitutes and fighting. Just absolutely fantastic. Um, What's interesting as well is the acronistic elements where there are a lot of incorporations of other ethnicities in this film. This is a very multicultural interpretation of the Arthur legend. You know, normally this should all be Anglos, you know, in in this movie, this should all be beautiful white blonde people or Vikings. That's it. That's the only people that really, um, lived in Britain at the time, maybe remnants of the Roman empire and so forth. Um, so yeah, you got a Kung Fu guy, and I think they actually referenced, they call Kung Fu George or something like that. They, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard those words used in the same sentence, which I thought was funny, but it works. So guy Ritchie somehow made all that work, and I think that's one of the big credits to this film was was just how gutsy he was in going all-out mythology for the, this classic Arthur-like story. But if, if, if I can say a positive to this movie, that's one of them.
1: I'll tell you when I chuckled. I liked the bit where uh, he was resisting the sword and the sword wasn't resisting him. And she says he needs to go to the Darklands. And then, uh, Dijmon, what's his name? Oh, I'm yeah. I was never going to pronounce it. Dijmon Husun? Husu? I don't know. He, uh, plays Bedivir. I didn't know that. And, um,. <laughs> He says, uh, you know, that's not happening. And then it cuts to him going, welcome to the Darklands. And they didn't sort of faff about convincing or anything. They cut straight there. The Darklands, however, is like big rats, big snakes, big bats, big wolves. (laughs) And it just felt a bit like we were going through the motions. Yeah. Okay, this is a waste of time. This is a big sidestep to the main story. And I did, uh, when I was pitching this story, because I watched it with my wife. She didn't like it. When I was pitching it, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, he'll pick up the sword and his eyes will probably glow or something and that's when that happened we both laughed because <laughs> we, i was just being silly like i didn't know his eyes were really going to glow when he wielded the sword <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what yeah. happened to the lady um that was working as a double agent for Voldemort jeez oh, i'm getting his name confused and uh, Voldemort <laughs> Voldemort. Uh, and King Arthur like she she was uh, the the pretty um i guess maid I guess what well, what happened to her, and then uh, he discovered who she really was. Like uh, in, on that boat, he was like, "Oh, I, I know uh, you, you're very useful. You can be handy in the right circumstances." What whatever happened to her? Do you know the girl I'm talking about?
1: Oh yeah, she was in the Mummy, which we also covered. Oh, that's right. Yeah, main, yeah. Well, yeah, the main love interest. She's she's Annabelle Wallace. Uh, she played Maggie. What happened? No to idea her? what happened to her. Okay, so, no idea.
0: Okay, <laughs> I, I'm assuming she got killed. Maybe I missed that scene. Um, I'm assuming Uh, he killed her.
1: I guess it wasn't important. Um, I don't remember if she was there at the end. Like, there's a lot of people standing there with the crown, but I didn't really notice all of them. Okay. I didn't enjoy the bit where he was in the forest and he had a whole theory about what would happen if they tried to raise an army. That felt like faffing about. I liked it when it was to the point. But there was all these sort of sidesteps in the story. Like the Vikings, you know, it seems busy.
0: Like uh, In the original original um, Robin Hood, but in the Robin Hood with Kevin Costner, there is a point where Robin Hood becomes, they become this ultimate unit that constantly harasses the King's supply lines and he just, you know, sort of wilters down and is forced to sort of, come out of um, the fortified um, castle and engage Robin Hood and they come up with a plan to kidnap and so forth. But uh, for those, for a brief 20 minutes or so, we're in this sort of Dirty Dozen-esque style movie where this unit, this small harassing unit, are just attacking the king from outside the castle. We briefly see that, briefly see that in King Arthur. Wouldn't it have been cool if a lot more of the movie was in that realm? You know, it would, yeah, but I
1: guess you don't want King Arthur to be Robin Hood, yeah. So there was danger of them spending so much time in the forest with his merry men that they became Robin Hood, yeah. And it didn't feel like King Arthur at times,
0: yeah. Okay,
1: and King Arthur, you want them to become knights or be knights, and they are knighted at the end, they all become sirs. There's no Lancelot here, they're saving that for the sequels. You want them to be tough knights that are a unit like a group that all know each other and get along and you want him to be the one that wields Excalibur and that's King Arthur and he pulls it from a stone at some point that's the ticks you have to make well
0: yeah and then it has to be a big showdown between the two armies the rebellions and the the main empire I guess that's in charge and you know that they they have to fight and he has to find some crack in the massive Death Star that and to destroy the enemies once and for all. <laughs> You're right there you know, are a lot, lot of Star Wars references and structures uh, in this movie.
1: Yeah. You know when uh, George and all the men he trained with, you know, in the very 300 kind of way, they take on that horde of masked ninja types that's weird that they're all dressed as ninjas. I would they look like foot soldiers from Shredder. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, the foot. <laughs> And he uses the sword and it's stupid strong and there's a big moment, like an iconic moment where he can say a clever line or something like, well, it's never done that before or something. <laughs> yeah. I've got nothing like coming to mind, but he says, I'm going down the hole now, which feels like the worst line you could put there, like nobody punched up the script. And I found it really frustrating the bit where he v- iconically pulls the sword from the stone and David Beckham and all the men are there and stuff. And he collapses. I was dumbfounded. I was like, well, this isn't what I thought this scene would be. Yeah, no, I agree. Even just to the point where he could have dropped the sword, like not knowing what power he was wielding, and they could have captured him or taken him, you know, uh, tied him up or something. Him collapsing and hitting his head is like, check it out, I'm pulling the sword from the stone, and I slipped, and I'm hitting my head, and I'm unconscious. Like it just felt... (laughs) like a terrible succession of events. Um, I realised to service the story, you know, it's so powerful, it knocks him out, but um, it was stupid. Was <laughs> there like a
0: vision it. sequence at that moment as well? There probably was, uh, wasn't yeah. there? Oh, yeah, it,
1: f- it flashes to when he's a kid and stuff. The same repetitive, uh, you know... Eric Banner scene, but just different sort of segments of it.
0: Well, what's your opinion on Guy Ritchie? I'm not sure if you've um, watched a lot of his movies leading up to King Arthur from the Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrel days. How has he evolved? How has he changed? Do, Do you think... Because my opinion watching this, there is a lot of... Guy Ritchie that has transitioned very well to big budget movie making and there's there's a lot of it where he just doesn't know or doesn't have the craft to handle this kind of material at all he isn't suited to direct something like a cinematic universe he's more he's much better as like a genre director making I hate to say it but Snatch 2, Snatch 3, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels 2 you know what I mean like he's better in that as a genre filmmaker rather than trying something like, um, Lord of the Rings say.
1: So. Yeah. The, um, the thing is my favorite films of his are lock stock and snatch, of course, because they are right in his wheelhouse. They feel clever. They feel well-written and they feel like he is using what he has around him and kind of telling a cool gritty story that no one's heard before. And then probably what happened is after he met Madonna and he made Swept Away, which starred Madonna, that was so off-brand for him that people hated it. I've yet to see Swept Away. I've got no real interest in it. But uh, I did see Rock and Roller, which was like his return to that kind of world, if you will. A lot of sort of stuff to like about it, but uh, ultimately it just wasn't the same as what he had previously produced and then to take the turn into Sherlock Holmes. I watched that film, and Robert Downey Jr., it's his star power that carries the film. Annoyingly, Rachel McAdams doesn't even appear for about an hour, into like an hour and 40 minute film. You're waiting around, I was watching it for all three leads, but anyway. Never saw the sequel, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, don't know um, what that's like, but I did watch The Man from UNCLE with my wife, and we watched it when we were on a holiday And it was a real holiday mode, like we got a DVD from, um, you know, the front desk sort of thing at this like, um, uh, not an Airbnb, like, uh, but you know, it was a caravan park. So they had like a selection of um, DVDs and things to choose from, and then we borrowed that one and watched The Man From U.N.C.L.E., and I think the initial draw card is like, okay, cool, Spies, Henry Cavill, uh, Army Hammer. Uh, And it did remind me a lot of Atomic Blonde, which we did last week. You know, there's um, both sides of the spy world in this one as well. And The Man from U.N.C.L.E. is is competently handled. Like, it's a decent uh, action film. There's not a lot of kind of moments where you're like, whoa, that was incredible. But there are these clever little uh, comedic moments, and that's the sort of snatch, lock, stock stuff bleeding through. There's a character who's sort of uh, dies in the background in one scene, and it's really funny, um, and unexpected, and sort of the relationship, the interplay between Army Hammer and Henry Cavill's characters is what sells the film and makes it great. So that was really, like, B plus A minus type of movie, but now King Arthur is a massive miss, and this just feels like they needed to make it the same tone as Lock, Stock, Snatch for me. The way that they handle Excalibur, the way that he wields it, and they do all that CGI and the final fight and stuff, um, just feels like they're trying to make a superhero movie.
0: Yeah, hundred percent.
1: You know, which is not what Guy Ritchie can do or should do. I'm skeptical about Sherlock Holmes three just because I never saw the second one, and and you know I'm not really interested in seeing that. Um, and I'm also not, I'm not feeling great about Aladdin. On record, I would say that it feels like the kind of project that. Later we're going to have some other director attached to because it didn't work because Guy Ritchie wasn't the director for this. And it'll be like the Edgar Wright bit where he was going to do Ant-Man but he didn't and someone else did. And that's what Aladdin smells like to me. It's... um it feels off-brand for Guy Ritchie and it doesn't feel like it's his wheelhouse. It feels and I like think it's he
0: got great, he got accepted to do Aladdin because they were like, oh my gosh, King Arthur's going to be such a big hit and now mm. that it's tanking, they're like, okay, we've made a big mistake.
1: I can accept that, yeah. I mean, they're in pre-production, so who knows, but it's one review I, Book thing.
0: Yeah, well, one review I read um, was like, like uh, Guy Ritchie is the most successful mediocre director in the business and I was like, <laughs> oh, that's harsh. <laughs>
1: he... His films are fine, but they're not what Disney will want. See, Disney has had Beauty and the Beast, which we covered on the podcast. You guys can check it out, podmeifycan.com, find the back catalogue. And we covered Beauty and the Beast and the reasons that it is a success and what works about it in terms of taking an animated film and making it live action. This is the same. Disney want Aladdin wants Aladdin to be a huge hit. It's a Broadway hit. It is a, you know, animated classic. They want the live action to become a classic instantly as well. Guy Ritchie's not the guy to do that. Um, I just don't see them going all the way through with this. I don't see this being a successful project for him at all.
0: I would go straight forward and go straight to John Favreau, man. He is one of the most consistent filmmakers in the business and I think he would do wonders with Aladdin. But I think just with that street, you know, how Aladdin begins as a thief in the streets, I think that's where Guy Ritchie, his greatest strong point is. And I think he can handle the banter between the genie and Aladdin really well. Um, it's just that when he becomes a prince part, that's where it could fall, all fall apart because I don't think he's very good at handling all that, especially from what we've seen with uh, King Arthur. Like how just how boring the villain is as well. Like Jude Law, again, amazing actor, but every time we cut to the villain, I'm like, okay, his only motivation is power. That's his motivation. Yep. It's just so yep. boring. Give him something else to do. Look, look at Game of Thrones. There's so much complexities in there. Everyone has their reasons so well fleshed out. Yes, it's a TV series, but come on, man. Like, you got to do Sonic with the villain here. Make him interesting. And I guess the excuse is, oh, it was supposed to be a six-part series. That's not a good excuse, you know? I'm sorry. If you're going to give me two hours into a movie, that's plenty of time to build cat. To build a backstory on the main characters and give us something to care about.
1: John Favreau's got his hands full. He's making The Lion King. Oh, so of
0: course. Great choice. No chance. Yeah, good. No chance. <laughs> I mean, he's doing
1: Jungle Book 2 probably after that as well, so he's not going to be around. He's well, not going to be He doesn't have to remake
0: do... Lion King. They've already got it with um, King Arthur. I'm, j- I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course.
0: The Mufasa Scar, Scar Angle. <laughs> you said it. That um, was right. That was 100% well, correct.
1: Look, um, for me, It's uh, too many visions, (laughs) too many hours, Uh, they do that song which is really like an odd choice but they have him tripping on snake venom towards the end of the film. And he's like, women are coming alive out of the trees and stuff. And they're playing a song. It's felt so out of place, like a music video.
0: You're like, what What kind of snake is that?
1: Because <laughs> I want to try one. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact they brought in that massive CGI snake, it reminded me of when in Pirates of the Caribbean, in the third one, Stranger Tides, maybe. <laughs> the Kraken. Uh, the dreadlocked. The dreadlocked woman Oh, it turns into crabs, yeah. Oh, and turns into crabs. <laughs> Stupid.
0: Yeah, yeah, I didn't get that. I was like, why did she turn into crabs? What's happening here? <laughs> no idea,
1: yeah. I found it a bit frustrating, too, that Jude Law couldn't wield Excalibur. It felt a bit like he was the same bloodline. I mean, he's the brother. So I kind of felt like maybe he could have wielded it. Like, But yeah. the final least iconic line that he says where I was yawning through the final fight scene, he says, you created me, and for that I bless you, and he kisses his hand, which is so weird. Like, (laughs) and 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 like, it didn't strike me as the thing he should do. Yeah. His friends have died and stuff. I know. know.
0: He didn't forgive him, but he recognised if it wasn't for him, he wouldn't have become a man of the people. But, man, that's the guy who turned on your father. He killed... Your family, you know, like, uh, I, I don't... Yeah, you're right, you shouldn't have blessed him.
1: <laughs> and he does say sort of good luck in hell or whatever, but it's not iconic. You could have punched up this script. You could have had... Uh, they felt like so many times they were faffing about. Like, I really did enjoy the bit where they went, welcome to the Darklands. Like, they cut straight to it. Cut through the crap. That's what Guy Ritchie is good at. He's cutting to the next scene, but there was so much extra stuff. Like, it felt like... The Lady in the Lake, they needed to establish it for a later movie. There's no reason to have her. You never had to throw that sword away.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's like, they like. oh, that's a thing that everyone remembers from King Arthur, so we can't not cut that part out.
1: I wouldn't think he's going to be the guy that finishes Aladdin. This doesn't feel like uh, strength to strength at all, and Disney is cutthroat. When they can get someone like Ron Howard coming off uh, you know, the Han Solo film, Grab him and get him to do Aladdin, something like that. Zemeckis, it's it's an adventure film, you know? Aladdin, you just grab somebody who's done an adventure.
0: Jude Law killed his daughter that he loved, apparently, f- to become Ghost Rider.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about right. But again, you don't know that he loves his daughter, just the fact that a father would love a daughter is enough and his reaction has to sell it. Yeah, and which you it know, did for
0: c- me, to be fair. Fair enough,
1: yeah they built a round table so we'll see if it results in a sequel probably Charlie Hunnam is stuck on a contract where he has to he's obligated to do another one if they do it they blew it um, dave
0: i really hope they don't do a sequel to this it reboot it man reboot it you got to like i don't think we're going to see a sequel to the mummy and i don't think we're going to see a sequel to king arthur and this is dangerous territory for cinema to bomb out with massive budget movies like this because it could really destroy a whole studio you know um 150 yeah. plus million into this and oh my gosh it just takes a couple of them to shut down a movie th- a studio
1: i thought uh, when we did warcraft i'm pretty sure i said they'll make a like a straight to dvd straight to digital download type of sequel Maybe we'll see that for this. But that was like, a big
0: hit, though. That's the thing with um, World of Warcraft. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Like It, it should have bombed critically. Uh, it bombed in, in, in the domestic markets. But it went a, as soon as that film opened in China, for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, you're right. Okay. I hope they never revisit this <laughs> for, uh, for everyone involved. You can uh, find all the episodes we've referenced that we've done before um, on com. There's a nice back catalogue there. Uh, Subscribe to us in iTunes. We've got Blade Runner 2049 coming up. We'll have Star Wars Episode 8 in December. There's a lot to like now and between then. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok.
0: And what's that... um, uh Wonder Woman movie with all the Justice League is that coming out this year
1: oh Justice League I think it's November November
0: okay so it is this year right sorry
1: yeah I believe so yep uh, so lots to like and we'll be covering it all in Podme If You Can and you can uh, find us tweet us Facebook all that stuff podmeifyoucan.com where there's also a link to our YouTube channel we do obscure film reviews with famous stars in them and uh, jeepers uh, maybe I'll try and find a Charlie Hunnam one to tie into this episode <laughs> I'm sure he's done something. Very obscure. Till next time, unpardon me if you can. Um hope you've enjoyed us talking about king arthur legend of the sword and uh, i would probably recommend just watching the clive owen one or the disney sword and a stone Uh, i'm gonna go with
0: excalibur john borman or the made for tv series with the guy from jurassic park i can't believe i'm blanking on his name sam neill sam neill (laughs) thank you dave (laughs) or else there's merlin no Um, that's the one i'm referring to yeah
1: that's the one Yeah. yeah cool uh, well, you can check those out. I would definitely recommend checking those out over this film, which <laughs> at, at two hours, it focuses on the wrong things and uh, has muddled tone. But um, look, if, and I do mean if, it's a big if, if Guy Ritchie makes Aladdin to completion, we will definitely cover it on this podcast, Lloyd.
0: 100%, Dave.
1: And you guys can check that out next time on Podme If You Can.
0: Hit it! Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah! Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. podmeifyoucan if you can. Movie reviews.